Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. I wasn't real sure if they were showing the ARC water skiing somebody or not, but I don't think so. Hey, listen, we are this week and next week with the series, Tell Me the Story. Today, we are going to talk about Noah. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about Moses. And so I hope you get to be here. If you're traveling, we pray that you're safe. We only request that wherever you go, that you bring back a church bulletin and some rain. So, and if we have to choose, we're asking for rain. And so you be praying for rain. I'm praying for rain. I'm ready for this parched land to be healed and for uh, things to look different and to be able to know what it's like to be outside at 5 in the morning and it's not already 78 or 80. So looking forward to that. This morning our message is illustrated by Audrey Douglas, daughter of Eric and Shannon. Great picture of the family. And we are doing a message today about Noah and the challenge of God asking us to trust Him. So, would, we, would you join me in saying thank you to Audrey for the uh, picture that she drew? <laughs> Amen. Now, every summer, you can go to almost any public pool, and you're going to see a drama play out. It is a child that is on the edge of the pool, and a parent looking up saying, jump. It'll be okay. Trust me. And that child is looking at the parent, and they know that, for the most part, this parent has been trustworthy. They have fed them. They have clothed them. They drove them to the pool. But then they look out, and they see that pool. And many times, the size of the pool eclipses the person that's in front of them. And you can almost see them tentatively, you know, like, if I just get close enough, you know. And we've all played that through. You can always see the ones that accidentally fall in. You can tell that by the shriek as they go in. But as a parent, you know if you're in the pool, that all you want that child to know is this. I'm not going to drop you. I'm not going to let you come to harm. I'm going to be right here with you. Trust me. Trust me. And I want you to know that today as we look at God's Word, and as we talk about the story and the life of Noah, we see someone that God challenged to trust him in a world and in a moment he had never experienced before. And maybe you know what it's like to be here today. And you know what it's like to have that challenge of trust. I want you to think about this, about trust. That when you are asked to trust someone, trust has two parts. On one side of the coin is the word faith. On the other side of the coin is the word action. And when my actions and my faith line up, I demonstrate trust. It's when my faith and my actions come together. So I just want to ask you today, like Noah, where is God asking you to trust him? 
What moment might you be in today that requires you to trust God, to trust what God intends for you? I want you to think about that as we read through Hebrews 11 and Genesis 6 regarding Noah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that on this Sunday that we can gather together to worship you. And Father, we do cry out as your children for rain. This land is parched, and we need you to cause rain to fall. And so, Father, we thank you that we can trust you in all things. Today, as we're looking at this passage, Lord, about Noah, I pray that we would be able to listen to your heart for Noah and Noah's response to you as a way of helping us understand in the moment that we're in how you want us as individuals, as families, as a church family, to trust you. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Looking at the chapter that is the chapter of the heroes of faith. I'll begin with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts and and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And let's drill down now on verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God or please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world because and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now the story of Noah is one that most of us are familiar with. And if we're not completely familiar with the details, the odds are that we're somewhat familiar with the concept that's behind it. It's a record of how one man trusted God in a generation of individuals who were resisting God. And I want you to ask yourself as you think about Noah, about your own life, and ask the question, where is God trusting me today? Because you see, God asked Noah to be part of what he was doing. And whenever God asks you to be part of what he's doing in your world, it will always require you to trust him. I've heard people say, I wish God would use my life. And my response is, if he were, would you be willing not just to hear about it, but to be part of what he's doing in it? Because faith is when my trust or, or trust, rather, is when my faith and my actions come together. Trust is faith and actions in sincrecy. Henry Blackaby said in The Seven Realities of Experiencing God that God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. 
And so let's look at Genesis 6 where God comes to Noah and he's asking Noah for faithfulness and action. But think about what it would be like to wake up in the world of Noah. It has been 10 generations since Adam and Eve and now we are at the place of Noah. And God is looking out at the world, and the Bible says in Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. I want you to think about the world that Noah woke up in, because in his world, every place he turned, evil was celebrated. Every place he turned, people chose to do that which was against God instead of those things that were for God. In his world, people were willing not only to bow down to idols, not only willing to sacrifice their children to idols, not only willing to think nothing of what it meant to live a frivolous life, to be full of sensuality and indulgences, and to care more about themselves than anybody else. This was a life in which they looked at anybody They didn't live that way as being the odd one. Here's what you need to know. In this world, as it gets more and more corrupt, people who stand strong for Jesus will always seem to be a little odd. Why don't you know how to get along? Why can't you just do what the group says? Why do you have to be the rock in my shoe? But the reality is that Noah was faithful. The world that Noah lived in was a tough world. It reminds you of what Daniel said to the king, Belshazzar, when he went in and he read the writing on the wall, and he says, this is what God says to you. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. The description of this world is a world that has corrupted itself to a place, has gone so far from God that God is grieved that he even created man and he has decided it is time for a do-over. But in the middle of that moment, in the hardest moment in the history of our world at that time, God had a man that he could trust. A man whose life demonstrated he trusted God. It says in Genesis 6, 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. The description of Noah is a person who was righteous before God, that he stood right, he acted right, he walked rightly. And in a way, also it says that he was blameless. It meant that when people looked at his life, they didn't look and identify slippage They saw consistency. And they might not have agreed with Noah. And they might not have thought that Noah was one of the, you know, one of the exciting people to be around. But they had to say this, Noah was consistent. He was blameless. He was righteous. And most critically, he walked with God. I'm going to tell you, you don't get blameless and righteous without the walk. The daily walk that we have with Jesus, the daily walk where we take time to be still before the Lord and for our hearts to be centered before him is the critical choice I make each day if I'm going to live a life that is righteous and blameless. 
Because I don't know about you, but every day it seems like I find something that I've done that had to be one of the dumbest choices I could have made. And I think, why did I do that? This morning I was reading through the book of James, and I was reading that part in James 4 when it talks about the tongue, and I thought, man, I proved this. I can't tell you how many times something that sounded good in my head when it got spoken out of my mouth. Oh, I wish I could take that back. But you know what the reality is? God is quick to forgive when we ask, and we keep moving forward. But that daily time, that walking before the Lord is so critical. Look at what God told Noah to do. Now, walk with me for just a moment through this. He said, Noah, I'm going to ask you to build an ark. And I'm going to give you plans to do it with. Now, now just think about this. this. This boat is going to be 450 feet long. That's long. It's 75 feet wide, it's 45 feet tall, and think about the obstacles that Noah faced because I want you to think about this. There had never been a ship built before. There was no YouTube video for Noah to go to on how to shape gopher wood. For the very first time, a boat, a ship like this was going to be built because it would literally be thousands of years later, 2500 B.C., before we have the record of the first longboat, much less what Noah built. And when he built it, he built it in a way to be seaworthy, and there was no sea. He's trying to figure this out because he's on dry ground, right? And he's building it. Now think about the neighbors. They already thought he was a strange duck. I mean, when we go do the sacrifices, he don't go. When we've offered our children on the fire, he didn't. I mean, he doesn't know how to get along with anybody. He's kind of odd, and now he's building something that's going to ruin the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, one more thing. He's talking about rain there had never been rain on the earth i'm not talking about like what we're going through it never happened before because see the bible says it's in genesis 2 5 for the lord god had not sent rain on the earth yet the earth simply had a mist that would come up kind of like houston humidity come up <laughs> water the ground and then be gone and Noah is talking about the days coming where it's going to rain around here. He had never seen it, but he trusted God in it. He was about to walk through a time where there was 40 days of rain, 150 days of the water prevailing, and it took another 150 days for the water to recede. In other words, for a year, Noah is going to be doing a whole lot of work in the stables. Here's what you got to know about walking with God. You need to know that as he delivers you and as he uses you, there's always a mess to clean up. And sometimes people look at their life and say, I'm doing what God told me to do and I'm being faithful what God told me to be faithful. Why am I dealing with any struggle? And my response is because that's how he built your character. 
And I too know what it's like to say, oh God, could you just send me the, you know, just give me the highlight reel. Tell me the lesson you want me to learn. Can we skip the training? I'll just do this. But I have discovered again and again and again, I needed time on the anvil for God to pound into me what he needed me to learn. Because I've discovered that my will is not like tinfoil that easily shapes. It's more like plate steel that needs to be heated and whacked on to bend me into the conformity of the likeness of Jesus Christ. On the ark, the animals did not police themselves. Noah had a job. The truth about trust is that trust is defined by my faith and actions lining up together in agreement with God's will. True trust always requires complete commitment on my part. Very grateful this week my mother got to visit with us and she's with me. She does not want me to embarrass her by introducing her. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to mention that she's back there and that she's, you know, toward that section or anything like that. But this morning, listen, she embarrassed me growing up. This is just paper. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Never did. Never did. Never did. A guy that put his mother in as many parent-teacher conferences as I did, I'll just be glad she still shows up. But this morning we had bacon and eggs. That's not something I normally get to have on Sunday morning. She gets to have. And we were talking about it on the way here. And I said, well, this is kind of like Noah trusting because here's the reality about commitment. At that breakfast, the chicken contributed. The pig made a commitment. <laughs> I want you to hear that when God asks you to trust him, he doesn't ask for a contribution. He asks for a commitment. He asks for your life. Trust me. Trust me. Trusting God takes real commitment. It's demonstrated by our faith and actions. It's the melding of our faith together. In Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It is lived out. In our actions, James 2.14 says it like this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and go daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I want to be very clear, the Bible doesn't teach work salvation. But the Bible does teach that if you are truly saved, you're going to be going about the works of God. It's like I always tell couples in premarital counseling, when you get married, you act like it. And when you come to Jesus, you live like it. And that's where faith and action comes together that demonstrates that heart of trust for God. When the Bible talks about faith and action, it is two sides of the same coin. 
I've given you a little bit of an illustration to help you with this. You have faith and you have action. And always when there's faith and actions, there's going to be truth. And as you know, truth is so that you can go to obedience. And so it's not enough just to hear truth. It's not enough just to say, oh, I attend church and I take good notes and I even have Bible studies and I have books about the Bible. My question is, Knowing that truth, has it led to obedience? Because knowing truth by itself is not enough. Living truth demonstrates you actually know it. Does that make sense? In the same way, if I trust God, and I say I trust God in my faith, then I need to be ready in that to take the opportunities that he puts in front of me to demonstrate in my life the trust that I'm confessing. So that if I say I trust God in things, and yet I live my life as if he is absent, I'm not trusting him. If I say I trust God with the finances I have been made the manager of or a trustee of, and yet I grip it in such a way that I'm not willing to give, I'm not willing to tithe, I'm not willing to do anything except what I feel good about, I'm not trusting God. All I'm doing is saying, God, let me help you spend your money. Oh, by the way, y'all are generous church, you're giving well, that was not for that purpose. It was simply to say this, if you're clinging onto any part of your life too tightly, I will tell you, God says, open up your hand, because if you'll trust me there, I can do so much more everywhere else. Just trust me. Trust me. You know, I know there's a danger. I know there's a danger with some people of extremes, like you can be so busy you're barren. There's a great little booklet on that where people just get so busy doing the things of God and so busy at church and so busy here and busy there that they skip over people that need them to stop slow enough to love on them and to see them. So God doesn't want you so busy that you're barren. But the other side is some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I think about Evelyn Christensen, that great writer about prayer and other parts of the Christian walk that talked about one day that she was at college and one of her friends was coming toward her and as she's walking up there her friend you know has got her eyes kind of closed and she's praying she said what are you doing she said well I'm, I'm praying about uh, getting some shampoo and she said okay did the Lord tell you anything she goes yes the Lord told me I can use yours and kept on walking <laughs> And I know people like that. That's not what God's called you to. He has called you to a life where you walk daily with him so that you know him intimately, so that you understand his voice and that you hear it, that you hear his word, you see what is happening. And he may not ever ask you to build an ark. He may not ask you to believe in rain when you've never seen rain. But I know this, there's a place today that God is asking you to trust him. Are you? Are you trusting him? You know, years ago, there was a popular thing to do in student groups, and it was called the trust fall. And so they would put a student on a chair and then put students behind them and say, now close your eyes 
and just fall back trusting. You can imagine in some groups that went horribly wrong. But for the most part, there was no incident. And people just kind of learned, oh, I can trust. Oh, I can trust. I thought about that when I was planting a church and Mark had begun to visit the church. And one day we were in his pickup and we were driving around and he had kind of a different kind of personality, but he was enjoyable. And so we were talking one day. He was telling me about growing up in West Texas and growing up in a ranch. And I thought about him because I thought, you know, there are people today that I'm talking to right now that I know some of you struggle with trust. I know you've had some people in your life that weren't trustworthy that were hurtful, people that you should have been able to trust, people that you should have been able to count on, and they didn't prove trustworthy. So I, I don't say this lightly to you, but Mark and I are driving along, and I'm sitting in the pastor's side, and he's sitting over here driving us, and he's talking about his childhood matter-of-factly, just matter-of-factly, and he said, Roger, you know, we had this ranch. And he said, one day, I was about six years old, I was out with my dad, and we're riding around the ranch checking fences and everything. He said, we came to this one section of fence that needed to be repaired. And dad stopped the truck, and he took me out. And he said, he, he took me, and he stood me on the, po on the post. And he asked me to stand real still. He said, then my daddy stepped back and said, Mark, jump trust me. He said, so I jumped. And when I jumped, my dad stepped away. And I hit the ground. And all the air got knocked out of me. And I rolled over. My dad put his finger in my face and said, Mark, I'm telling you right now, in this world, you better not trust anybody. No matter who they are. And I, as his pastor, just, you know, the tears started coming. I was like, brother, that was cruel. That was evil. That's not what you teach a child as a parent. The world's going to hurt you enough. Your parents got, you got to trust them. I said, do you know how wrong that was? And he looked at me and he said something like this. He says, Roger, I know how wrong it was. But I don't know that I've ever gotten past that moment. And I want to tell you what I told him. I said, you know, you need to know something about Jesus. He'll never do that to you. You need to know that the cross proves that God will never drop you. The cross proves that no matter what life you have lived, no matter how far away you have strayed, that the arms of the Savior are ready to catch you. And you may not know anybody in this world you can trust, but I can tell you right now, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can fall into his arms, and he's never going to drop you. You may not know how to trust people yet, but you start by trusting Jesus. And so I say to you, that maybe like Mark, you learned a lesson that people around you don't even realize that was part of your background. They don't know about the tragedy 
that struck your life. And you've held back. And so I want to ask you today, where is God asking you to trust him? You know, for some of you, that trust is to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And today, you need to take that step and embrace Jesus, God's Savior, into your life to forgive your sin, to come into your heart, to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness, and to trust him as your Savior and Lord. And that's, that's really where you are. Some of you, you need to trust God with what's next. And you have been hesitating to be part of a smaller group because you're afraid people are going to get to know you. You're a little concerned that they may get to know you too well. And you just need to know that in this church family, this is a safe place for you to step out and let people know you, let people love on you. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is not a perfect church. We aren't perfect people, but we serve a perfect Savior. And we're going to disappoint you at some point. We're going to do something that you're not happy about. But just tell us, and we'll make it right. But some of you need to trust in the family that you're in. Some of you need to trust in the moment that you're in. I don't know where you are or exactly what's happening, but I know this. God's asked you to trust him somewhere. Have you said yes? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we are mindful. You've already proven that you're trustworthy. Father, you proved that for the proclamation to the universe through the death of your son, his burial and resurrection. Father, you prove again and again through your word that if we'll follow you, if we will be faithful to you, that you are trustworthy. But God, your word even tells us that when we aren't faithful, you still love us. You still call us. And Father, there's some folks that are here and they have strayed from you and they have thought, God will never take me back. And Father, today they need to trust you that even though in their heart they are hurting, that they can come before you, that they can confess where they are and be restored in relationship with you. Father, there's some, they're struggling in their family or with a family member or with a child. And God, they've been carrying this. And God, that burden is just so big. They need to trust you. Lord God, give us the willingness to trust you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to do is in just a moment when we stand up, we have some deacon families that will be here at the front that are available to pray with you. There'll be some folks up in the balcony as well. I'll be here at the front. Some of you, I know that you like to catch us after the service, and that's fine. I'll be available to talk with you. Or right through these doors, there's a glass room that is a quiet spot if you have some questions that we can visit with you. We just want you to know this. There is no reason for somebody to ever walk out of this place that has a need that didn't get prayed for, that has a situation that somebody can't encourage you in. So we just ask you, as we stand together now, you respond as God 
has spoken to your heart to trust him. Let's stand and sing.